Okay, last week we talked about your content fuel framework. And I know that nonfiction brand listeners can go back to previous episodes where we've talked about it, but you brought this up last week and I wanna, I want you to explain it a little bit more. You said that, yes, it's a system. Yes, it's a framework, but yes, it's incredibly flexible. Now, let me just put my slightly pejorative negative hat, which is every time I see someone saying, here's 15 headlines that are sure to convert, or here's a listicle of this blah, blah, blah. I just, my shields go up because I'm a writer. Don't tell me how to write. Don't give me a formula. And by the way, when I cook, I don't use recipes. I'm like, well, this probably goes with this and we'll see how it is. I am not a recipe person, but you don't really do recipes either. As I recall in the book, it's more of a way of combining disparate or seemingly disconnected ideas together to create this serendipitous piece of content. Exactly. To echo your recipe analogy, what we're talking about is a book that's running through the available ingredients and you can figure out how to combine those in unique ways. So the book is broken into two halves. It has focuses and that's where we're talking about the lens or the angle for your stories. So are we going to tell this story through the lens of history or the lens of data or the lens of opinion? So it goes through different options for you there. How can we approach the story? And then the latter half of the book goes through formats and that's the way we bring it to life. So are we going to create this through audio? Are we going to create it through writing, through video, through a map or a timeline or a quiz or, or something else? So the idea is not for me to be telling you this is the focus to use and this is the format to use, but to say, look, you may have more options than you realize. And by considering these options, you will probably be able to come up with novel ideas much more easily than going back to the same over and over. Okay. You're a Twitter fiend, right? Yeah. Are you familiar with Stakeum's Twitter feed? Yes. <laughs> okay. I almost smell a little bit of content fuel framework in there, which is <laughs> the tweets The okay. So you can listen to Kara Swisher's Sway podcast and they have the guy on who does the Stakeum's Twitter feed and they're talking to him about the voice and how they got the voice and the tone and all that stuff. And it turns out they didn't have this deep, rich plan or recipe. They had a guy who was pretty smart, who decided no one's paying attention to this so I can do what I want. And what he does is create the voice of a brand that people, and let me tell you what Stakeums is. Okay. So I have a fair number of listeners from around the world. Stakeums is a frozen meat product that allows you to create steak sandwiches easily by defrosting thin sheets of meat and microwave them or whatever. But yes, I'm talking about the Twitter feed of a brand that makes frozen sheet meat. How can this be popular? How can it have as many followers as it does? And the answer is, because this dude is coming up with what I would call serendipitous pieces of content that you would not expect. There are no BuzzFeed listicles and stuff like that. Instead, there's a personality, there's a tone, there's a style that is uniquely steak ums. Yeah. That to me is what you're talking about <laughs> with your framework. And it doesn't make a ton of sense. I feel like every now and then when I do see a steak um tweet that comes across the feed, Sometimes it feels like a fortune cookie or 
like a, a philosophy lecture from college that I may not have listened to all the way. Like some of it's deep stuff, but the, but like you said, they're doing something totally unexpected, having deep, thoughtful, analytical conversations, really unexpected stuff. And it's, it catches your attention. And I think to your point, it is a nonfiction brand. There's a human behind that. And there's something to be said for that. So many of these brand accounts are undifferentiated because it's just promo after promo. It's just the squares and rectangles that you use as banners you're sharing on social. You're just putting your squares and rectangles somewhere else. But this is like a, a very platform specific, unique tone and voice that it makes it really relatable and really enjoyable. It's a, a surprise. <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the reasons that I think of your framework when I, I see that kind of content arrive on my feed is that it isn't somebody else's recipe that worked for them once. And now they just tout it as the be all end all to content and stuff like that. It is very capricious. It's very serendipitous. How many times can I use that word in one podcast? But the delight that comes out of something like that is what you're talking about with your framework. In the past, I think we've done some scenarios where I pick a really boring sector of business and then you talk through a couple of ways that might work. So yeah. I, I love doing that. So I want to do that Let's again. Do but let me think of what could be incredibly bad. Dental floss. Let's talk. <laughs> You're a manufacturer of dental floss. Okay. And you have to come up with some ideas for your various social feeds. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen to be National Teeth Day. What, my friends, what could you possibly come up with that might be not only interesting, but also helpful? And yeah project your voice and tone to the marketplace. Obviously this is like off the cuff for anyone listening. We did not pre-plan. This is the first oh, I'm hearing I of my new career. I mean, as, that's pretty uh, darn obvious. <laughs> my new career as a, as a dental floss marketer is minutes old, hot off the presses here. The first thing I'm thinking about is I think it would be really interesting to explore the history of dentistry, the history of dental hygiene, because when we think of dental floss now, it seems like this very simple thing, but I'm sure there's a rich history there. Were people doing this with like reeds of grass before there was dental floss? How did the ancient Egyptians clean their teeth? Was it shredded papyrus? Like, what is the history there? I think that's something that is not necessarily product-led, but it's product-adjacent, and it would be something that might be really interesting. Interesting facts could be hidden in there. I think there's a lot of opportunity to do product-focused content that is uh, inclusive of our product, but not product-led. So an example being travel dental hygiene products, travel products to take on the go. Do you bring your whole like electric toothbrush? Is there like a best electric toothbrush to travel with? That supporting content in curated lists of products, for example. I'm sure there's some very basics-focused content that's literally, here's how you should be flossing and maybe you're not quite doing that. Also, I think there'd be a really cheeky data focused like infographic or maybe even like, man on the street style video where we find out like, all right, nobody's flossing two times. Are you all really flossing two times a day? What's the truth here? How often are, are people truly, I'm not the dentist, tell us the truth. How often are you flossing kind of thing? And just, I think it could be, there's some fun, I don't know, some fun opportunities there. I'm riffing here. Yeah. Thoughts? No, but I think what you're doing is you're forcing people to think broader or wider 
yeah. about what your product is. Because if you're thinking dental floss, it comes in this little thing, blah, blah, blah. You're not thinking broadly enough. For example, I know that a lot of people who work in the arts use dental floss in things like pottery to oh. create certain shapes. Oh, to, you can to, cut things with it. Yeah, exactly. To cut, How mm. do you cut a hole in a, a, a thrown pot while you're throwing it or you want to create patterns with it and mm. stuff like that? Stuff like that is all of a sudden you're going, wait a minute, our dental floss is not just about people's teeth. It's about people using our product. And all right. of a sudden that opens things up because guess what? I used to tie fishing flies. Do you use dental floss to tie fishing flies? Not really, but in a pinch, you probably could. could. Or right. another thing is if, if you're a fan of, let's say, um, TikTok, there's a guy I follow on TikTok, Archeo Wolf is his name. And he's an archaeologist and he's really interesting. And he's constantly, every time on, I'm on TikTok, He'll talk about the latest finds in archaeology mm. or the latest cool stuff. And I think there was something on like maybe a week or two ago about a new excavation at Pompeii at the bottom of Mount Vesuvius where they found an intact, I think, restaurant. Oh, now what if it were an intact Roman bath or something mm -hmm. like that? And they actually had dental product or the, what, what Romans... The question is, what did Romans use for their dentist, right? their, their dental stuff? And by the way, you could do that about almost any culture that ever existed in, on this earth. So yep. there's the second that you broaden and go wider, all of a sudden there's content possibilities everywhere. And yeah. I think this is what your framework is about discovering. Yeah. Get out of your box that, oh, we can only talk about the Blog American posts, Dental yeah. Association and dentists. No, we can talk about potters. We can talk about uh, seamstresses or, or tailors, cosplayers. Do yeah. cosplayers use dental floss? Like freaking crazy they use it. And so all of a sudden, all this stuff is valuable content. Yeah. And I think there's also room. I think there's a lot of brands that are maybe scared to go product adjacent in that way to say for legal reasons or whatever, we can only talk about our product being used the appropriate way. So even if you're in that boat, you're not limited to talking about flossing your teeth, like the container. What are some alternative uses for the container to reuse it when you're done with it? Take people inside the factory and show them how floss gets made like they do on that show, how it's made. Give me the stats. Do people use waxed or unwaxed dental floss more? Is it silk or whatever else? Things, where are they sourced from? That kind of stuff is maybe not fascinating to everyone, but there's a group of people who would be interested. I always tell people that show how it's made has had literally thousands of products that they've showed how it's made. It's been on for a bazillion seasons and they just keep making it because people are curious. The whole idea with the framework, again, it's not to be prescriptive and say, you must make these things. I've got the focuses and the formats listed here, like in a checklist. And literally as I was brainstorming, when you gave me that prompt, I was running down the list saying, okay, uh, people focused. I can't think of anything just yet. Basics. We should teach people how to make sure they're flossing correctly. History. Okay. Yeah. We could do like history of dental going back to these ancient cultures. Curation. Yeah. We could curate lists. So it's really a checklist of prompts. That's what it is. And as I'm thinking through the different formats, even to say, okay, a quiz, how well are you flossing? Maybe it's a quiz that asks you various questions and tells you how, you know, are you taking care of your, your, men, your mental hygiene? Oh my gosh, yeah. your dental hygiene. 
take care of your mental hygiene as well, but also your dental hygiene. I think there's a, there's just some really fun opportunities there that, that are outside the box. And if you are sitting down saying, I need another blog idea for our written blog today about only floss and flossing your teeth, like you're going to hit a point where you're feeling stifled. Consider some other focuses for the content or other lenses to tell those stories and consider other ways to bring that content to life. You open up a whole world, a whole universe of content that you can create. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Now available on Amazon.com. Jay Baer, best-selling author of Talk Triggers, said, The book is outstanding. Highly recommended. A spectacularly useful guide to personal branding that pulls off the difficult trick of being both realistic and inspirational. A must-read, regardless of where you are in your own brand-building journey. To get your copy, head on over to Amazon.com and search Nonfiction Brand. And let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. You're a mom. You're a recent transplant to a different state. You are what a lot of people would consider someone who doesn't have time to do this stuff. I work all day. I get home. I just want to put my feet up and watch Netflix. The framework you're talking about, I think, is really helpful for someone who thinks that, which is I don't have time to do Mm -hmm. something to project myself out into the the blogosphere, the Twitter sphere, the whatever sphere. But if you sat down with your little cheat card, even while you're sitting there looking for something to watch on Netflix, you can go, well, okay, that focus, that format. Wait a minute. I now have an idea. And even if it's just a tweet, I could, I'm done. I've at least pinged on the radar of social media because I think what a lot of people don't understand about especially building a personal brand is to me, it's all about that radar ping. It's just a reminder that you're alive. Hey, I'm here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> ping. I'm here. Ping. I'm here. Ping. I'm smart. Ping. I'm occasionally funny. <laughs> ping. Yeah. I have something to offer or not, because let me tell you in the midst, I said before I, that in the midst of a play gear, you found an opportunity. Same thing happened to me, unbeknownst to me. I was panging enough on social media that someone I worked with, what was it, six, seven years ago? No, yeah, six, seven years ago. They pinged me and said, you want to come join us, part of our team, be a creative director? And I'm like, I think the answer is yes. And so that's what I'm doing with Southeastern Guide Dogs down in Palmetto, Florida, even though I live in Wisconsin. Because guess what? I can work anywhere that I have internet access. And again, it's just like you and foundation. You've got people all over the globe. Why? Because we need smart people. Doesn't matter where they are. Yeah. The thing that I think is important too is being flexible, right? In, in both of our cases that may not have been what we expected or necessarily planned for, although who planned for anything the last two years, but is being open to those opportunities and allowing things to come to you sometimes. Sometimes that's how it happens, but it only comes to you if you're, again, putting yourself out there enough for it to come to you. You mentioned like looking at the list, for example, while you're scrolling through Netflix, 
The other thing is it doesn't even have to be that active. It can just be being flexible and letting things come to you. So you listened to this episode and you heard us talk about a quiz as a format and you heard us talk about history as a focus. All of a sudden next week, you're going to see something and go, oh, we could do something like that, but with history or, oh, we could do something like that, but we'll make it a quiz. Just planting those seeds of there are more ingredients available than you're using. There are more options available than you're considering. It just, it, it makes it that much easier for things to come to you. You're giving yourself all these different ways to, to see the content that you interact with. So you can find more ways to translate it into something you can create. That's something I think writers understand, which is if it interests me, I know there are enough people out there who are enough like me to be interested by it. So I'm not going to say that they're going to buy your book by the billions or anything like that, but there is a niche for everybody. And it, it, it's almost, okay, let me get all biological on everybody. As I recall from my biology classes in college, because I was briefly going to be a natural scientist of some sort, <laughs> it didn't stick. There are a number of different environments on this earth, biomes, right? Every single biome on this planet has somebody living there and exploiting it. This, the vents down in the deep Pacific, the salt lakes out in Utah, every single one of them has people, or not people, but organisms that are there and exploiting it. So I'm telling you, no matter how niche you think your sector is, the nichier the better because you can own it. And Pat Flynn, I'm a big uh, fan of Pat Flynn. There's riches in the niches. And he's absolutely right because there's always one person who's the expert in something. Why not you be the expert in what you do? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I like to think, I, I do a lot of analogies. I think we're alike in that way. Uh Analogy man in my house. <laughs> I, I like to think of it like a steakhouse versus a, a buffet. When you think about what you can get at a buffet, can you get pizza? Yeah. Can you get steak? Yeah. Can you get sushi? Absolutely. If you wanted any three of those items, would you go to a specialty place? Absolutely. If I want sushi, my first thought is not the buffet. It's the sushi place. If I want steak, it's the steakhouse, not the buffet, right? If I want pizza, it's the pizza shop. It's not the buffet. And so by trying to be the buffet and be a little bit of everything for everyone, you end up being the go-to person for nothing. We don't want to yeah. be the place that people come when their other options have run out or closed for the night. We want to be that specialty that we're known for that thing. Like we make great burgers or like we have the best pizza. Be that place that people seek out be that expert that people go to because they know that you are awesome at that one thing that you do really well. Yeah. Yeah. I love that analogy because I would much rather be a purveyor of fine meat than mm -hmm. a buffet, a country buffet come all you can eat and none of it's right. good. Right. Yeah. I think it also speaks a little bit to what we were talking about last week about adding new skills to your tool belt, new arrows to your quiver is when you go to the steakhouse, Yes, they also have fries. And yes, they also have steamed vegetables on the side. That's okay. You can do that. But you're still the steak place. And I think that's it. It's adding those flavors, those other skills. It doesn't take the place of what you're doing. It's not equal to what you are doing. It's not equal to your thing. But it gives you the ability to add more flavor and to make it more dynamic. 
And the key thing too, and I think people don't understand this is when you plant your flag in the ground, make sure it's the ground that is completely true, completely you, 100% what you are best at, what people say, I come to you, not because you do it the cheapest, but you do it the best for these reasons. And by the way, I don't buy your product because of the product, I buy it because of you. What I'm trying to get at is this idea that you have to put your flag in the ground so that you can still pivot from that point. And I've known you long enough to know that you started out as the queen of native advertising, which yep. the native advertising is sponsored journalistic stories. We've talked about it on previous podcasts where new season of Orange is the New Black, you did a big spread on that mm-hmm. and it got a lot of profile. So you did native advertising until native advertising wasn't necessarily the hottest thing going anymore that doesn't mean you're not an expert what it does mean is you went you stayed on your pivot point but you did pivot yeah you didn't you didn't move that pivot point you just changed your direction a little bit yeah yeah exactly so anyway melanie diesel who i'm talking to today is someone i think you should follow and get to know especially if you are doing anything with content related and for the longest time i hated the description of the word content because it's no i'm a writer i write meaningful heartfelt emotional stuff yes it's creative and it's not content that you buy by the pound or get out of the lard bucket give me two pounds of uh, content would you kenny no i i always bristled at that but at the same time i recognize that you know what yeah i do have to have content I have to be thinking about content so that I can keep my social media feeds active and stuff like that. So it's a tough pill for me, the dilettante uh, writer to swallow. But yeah, sometimes I just got to write some content and there's a great way to do it. And Melanie's the woman who can tell you how to. Well, and I think I feel very similarly, by the way, like coming from the world of journalism, like we wrote pieces, not posts. We wrote stories, not blogs. There was a certain element of, I don't want to say elitism, but we like to think of our work as very dignified. Anyone does. But I think what I came to realize is that content is a really nice collective word that includes all the different types of work that we create. I put the same amount of creativity and effort into a photo for Instagram or a tweet for Twitter or a post for YouTube. Like they are very different. You do create videos. You are a writer, right? You're still those things But the collective of all those things together, they are all content that is all living on your platforms, sharing your message. So yeah, I don't like the idea of commodifying the work that we're doing in content factories, like not where we want to be. We don't want to be just pumping stuff out for the sake of content, but it's a handy little word when you need to refer to all the creative things you're doing and all the work you're putting out there. Yeah. And I think you've you've hit on something really hard there, which is content factories. And You can see that heavily in what I would call the influencer space, not in the authentic influencer space, but in the, I want to be an influencer, like uh, fill in the blank Kardashian or something like that. (laughs) There are a lot of fake lookalikes. Oh, don't be that. Don't be that. (laughs) The thing about creating content is it allows you to do the most important thing when it comes to building a personal brand. And that is demonstrate demonstrating who you are, what you do, how you do it, what your value is, what your taste level is. 
all these subtle things. Can people read a lot into what Instagram filter you use? Not at first, but then they might notice some trends and then they might go, oh, she has a style. She has a specific style. The shoes on tile style of <laughs> Melanie Diesel. If you follow her on Instagram enough, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But it allows you to demonstrate all of those intangible things that if we had two hours to talk together, we would know. Yeah. Oh, you snort when you laugh. That's kind of cute. <laughs> or you always tell the greatest shaggy dog jokes. The ones that go on for 15 minutes. Then just all that stuff. You don't know that, especially if you don't share that. So I'm really excited and always pleased as punch to have Melanie Diesel on the podcast. Because she gets my motor running when it comes to being a writer and a content creator and all that stuff. So definitely check her out and check out her book, The Content Fuel Framework, which is available on Amazon and at other online booksellers. Just check it out under her last name, which is unique. D-E-Z-I-E-L. Or for our British or our British affiliated listeners, it's D-E-Z-I-E-L. Melanie, it's always a treat having you on. How can people follow you on your various socials? You can always find everything about me at storyfuel.co. That's uh, the home base. You could learn more about the book or the speaking or find my social links there. Like you mentioned, I'm, I'm on Instagram as Mel Diesel. I haven't been as active because truth be told, I haven't been traveling and seeing many interesting floors these last 12 months. Yeah. But here's hoping that there'll be more of, of those such posts soon as the world begins to open up. But yeah, I always tell people I, I hang out most on Twitter. So if you're a Twitter person, you can find me there and at M Diesel. That's it for this week on the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. I am, of course, your host, DP Knuton, and she is Melanie Diesel. And I'll be talking at you again next week. Bye-bye. 